Earth is the element of the physical world of matter and form. We are all part of and connected to the fertile force that creates life on Earth. Whatever we bring to life through our consciousness or our unconsciousness multiplies and manifests for all that is natural energy of creation. This begins, as with all new life, in the dark with a seed, an egg, a thought, an idea or a feeling, a desire, a vision of the future we wished for. The new life begins with a period of incubation in the dark, within the earth, in the womb or within our imagination. Earth brings balance, regeneration of light and of dark and of birth, death and rebirth, of activity, rest and renewal that sustains life. The element of earth is our last element. Welcome back, everybody, to the Bell Witch podcast. We're your hosts, Jodie from Mother Serpentine Tarot and Swales from the Friendly Green Witch. And we're a bit, we're a bit giddy, aren't we? We're giddy. We are. We've got an incredible episode for you this week, really because earth, to me, is one of those elements that is so easy to talk about, but let's not get ahead of that. <laughs> Yes, yes. How's your witchy week been? It's been very busy since I last saw you. I did the Reiki, the Reiki day on the 14th of June at Conscious Crystal in Armley. And it was a roaring success. I did four people and time just flew. And I learned a lot really quickly about music and the way you say things and the order of things and clearing the room afterwards, you know, like spiritual hygiene and stuff I didn't even think about that became really apparent as I were doing it and yeah it's granted three people I did what people are new and came as a favor to me but one wasn't one was somebody who heard me say on the podcast and who follows us on Instagram and booked a treatment and came and that in itself is just absolutely amazing <laughs> so yeah it went Would you well. like to tell people about your own your connection with your healing power animal that you've come across oh it's such a good story so back in middle of may when i did the retreat with sally go lightly i ended up giving people reiki accidentally but anyway before that on the saturday night there was this horse on the horizon on the hills just staring at us you know like a wild horse and everybody were looking going like oh have you seen that horse it's a bit weird isn't it and we were like oh yeah and it was so still and it was stood there for a long time must have been at least half an hour fast forward a bit when we got the fire going and i did the spirit board with a couple of people one of them who actually came to reiki on wednesday my friend joe and there was a horse that came through on the board with this little lad who we were speaking to. And I just presumed the horse belonged to him, although he wasn't confirming it. And I could see this horse clear as day. It was like a grey, speckled, shiny fur, really muscly, like a racehorse, really big and sturdy. And it was quite lively and it was jumping around. I didn't think out of it. I just thought it belongs to the, the little lad. Anyway, so a few days later, the homework with my tutor, the Wiccan lady, was to meditate and try and figure out who your power animal is. And I didn't I didn't know, and I've never really attempted it before. So I laid down and attempted this meditation. And I was expecting a vicious snake or a black panther or something with a bit of bite, something with, with like, don't fuck with me vibes. And it turns up in the forest, in the underworld, and there's this, this horse, <laughs> this speckled horse. And I just couldn't believe it, and it... It, were, it wasn't moving, it was really still and it was like it was on the horizon just staring and its ears were doing its horse ears thing. 
didn't say anything to me. I don't know his name. I'm pretty sure it's a dude. And then afterwards, I was messaging Louise saying, I've got this horse, but I'm I'm so sure I've done it wrong because I'm just not a horsey person. I don't really connect with horses. I'm indifferent to them. And she said, well, have you seen them previously recently, Do you know, like in a pattern? And I was a bit like, oh, my God, yes. Yeah, because they usually say that if you see, um, see an animal when doing soul journeying, usually it's when you see it three times. And if you see it, you know, in person three times. So I'm um, going to call it my Reiki horse because it has come about, you know, incidentally, when I did the Reiki at the retreat, which started this whole domino effect of me going on this news pathway to doing Reiki healing. But Joe, who was with me on the spirit board that night, came for a treatment on Wednesday and the connection between us was really, really strong. And I were getting loads of stuff for her. And the horse was loving it. And he were roaming around and he were galloping and being all excited. And then I told her this afterwards. And I also told her that I saw daisies really clear. I just have to give her daisies. And like a picture of a perfect little daisy that you get in the grass. And she said to me, after the retreat, I think she found this painting somewhere in a shop on the way home and it became her place that she retreats to when she meditates. So she's got it on the front wall of her room and she sees it every single day and it's like a field of daisies and people are buying her daisies now because she's made that connection so much. Like, oh my gosh, you know, it's so much overlapping. I love when stuff like that happens and Reiki does really help you connect with spirit as well, doesn't it? So I think it's... And then... Yesterday, which was my ritual homework, I wrote a ritual and we carried it out in Louise's back garden for midsummer. It went really well. People came over, didn't know, and we all had a place. And some of my poetry was spoken out in the ritual. And then we made yarn mandalas, and everybody was just so into it. And that, and that meant I achieved the project goal of <clears throat> organizing and creating and carrying out ritual so that was a really lovely day and then it stormed Aww. didn't it the storm afterwards were just beautiful we were all under the gazebo just here in the rain that the earth needed so bad falling on us and oh, I have such a funny story to tell you <laughs> with the storm I really wind my mum up it's like she's quite skeptical but when I tell her that I do stuff she just believes it so when I went the other day to her house and a big fat raindrop, I troll her because of it, a big fat raindrop landed on me and I was like, oh, I did a rain dance around your block earlier. It'll be working now. <laughs> and she was fuming. She was like, oh, that sunshine. And you've gone and ruined it with your fuming, nodding rainbow rain dance. <laughs> and then it were like torrential and I was just cackling because I'd not done a rain dance at all, but it was just very funny. You see, I can imagine you doing a rain dance. I can see it in my mind's eye. Can you actually? It is pretty special dancing in the rain. I mean, do you remember when I did it at Oakleaf, the run round naked in the morning? It was really heavy rain. I was just running around skyclad going like, rain on me, rain on me. So my witchy week has been fairly quiet. We've all been a bit ill in my home and really just sort of resting, recuperating. Um, I've been doing a lot of reading um, and a lot of, more Kabbalah based study so I was at Jay's obviously Kabbalah study session the other day Kabbalah is something that I'm quite passionate about and you know got a really really deep interest in especially because of its links with sort of mysticism 
I'm, I'm always reading a book about it or, or three or five um, at any given moment. So I've been reading um, Ellen Cannon Reed's book and she has the most beautiful analogy for the element of earth in there that um, that really, really excited me, which I know should really go further into the podcast, but it was a nice moment in my not-so-witchy week. She was saying that um, when you think of earth, one of the most clear symbols of Earth is compost. And actually compost needs all the other elements to thrive. It needs air to aerate. You know, if you've ever tried composting, you know, your food waste, it needs air to aerate. Otherwise it goes stagnant and it stinks. It needs water to be able to kind of turn to mulch and do its process. And while it doesn't need fire, um, nitrogen alchemically is fire. And I just thought it was really, really beautiful to sort of think of how every element works in synchronicity to create the element that we know and love and um it's just quite a nice meditation isn't it nice it get warm to as well over. compost gets, it really gets does yeah yeah i've got especially if you do bokashi do you do bokashi i do you got me on it and i won't do anything other did now I? it's so good well that is that is a hot composting method isn't it so so i um I did some readings. I was at Tallulah's in Saltaire. That's one of the events where I go the third Thursday every month. And it's been quite a quiet month in terms of bookings. For me, I've been focusing more on like classes and things. Um, but I've got some really, really cool bookings coming up over the next few weeks. So I've been really, really excited for those. One of them is Den of Delirium, um, which is, I believe, next Friday. This Friday, yeah, twenty oh, third yeah. is it? I think oh, it is. 23rd. I think it's the twenty third. Yeah, Den of Delirium. It's it's absolutely incredible. It's just a really, really inclusive, immaculately professional burlesque night, and each one is themed, and they've got the most incredible dancers, and yeah, it's absolutely phenomenal. And then next week is my busy week where I read at the High Farm, the White Swan, but then on next Saturday I'll be at Leeds Festival of Gothica, so I'm really, really excited for that one. Um, it's one of my favourite events, and it's I'm like there for them and Den of Delirium at the moment, like sort of resident reader, which is just an absolute privilege because it's a phenomenal event. But there is a ridiculous number of stalls filling up like both halves of the market at the bottom. And there's just so much going on there from like DJs, music. That's the 1st of July. 1st of July it's yeah. incredible and yeah it's it's just an amazing amazing event by people who really really respect Leeds's influence on the sort of global goth scene and you know in, in how goth unfolded and um done a lot to sort of preserve the gothic history of Leeds you know they have like um archives and things like that in Leeds libraries because they don't That's want it all right. to die away I used to be a right hardcore goth um, me I used to wear fangs and everything yeah and a white face <laughs> hot velvet yeah. in used to love the, the white summer. face yeah <laughs> dying a day yeah going to uh wendy house or bendy mouse oh, i used loved... to call it i never heard anyone call it bendy mouse yeah i used to call it bendy's we just it? used to call it wendy's yeah oh wendy's yeah bendy yeah, mouse wendy's. Yeah. it was legendary wasn't it yeah absolutely incredible Phonos was legendary. I was too young for Phonos. i'm surprised that you're not too young for Phonos. no i met paul there my husband did you, yeah, right? Right, yeah. Photos. All the goths used to be at um, Wendy House, Cockpit. Fab yeah. Cafe. 
Carpe as well. And there used to be um, the night at the library pub as well, which was just amazing. Oh, They've got, yeah. um, they've replaced it with another goth night now, but it's definitely more goth and a bit less palatable, if that makes sense. Like, where's this? You know, the library? Library pub, yeah. I think, I, yeah, What's I think it it's now Nocturnum, Carpe Nocturnum. Yeah. Or Carpe Noctum. Yeah. And uh, this week, obviously, really, really enjoyed the storm as well and got quite a bit of storm water. I put out my biggest mixing bowl because I only have like, I have like a really nice little glass jar with a cork on it and I wanted to fill it up. And I was like, it's just never going to fill because it's too narrow. Like, it'd have to be out there for like nights to be able to fill up. So I got a big mixing bowl. <laughs> and good. let that fill up because I thought it widened it's a big surface area and I managed to fill it anyway with lovely new moon in Gemini storm water which I believe will be perfect for chaos magic powerful stuff <laughs> such a witch yeah. move isn't it quick there's a storm get all buckets out and all bowls yeah and, you know well <laughs> when I went the ritual yesterday people were like oh I need to go home and put a bucket out <laughs> I always think because it's it's so chaotic is storm energy and I think a lot of witches use um, storm water for things like protection magic but I personally wouldn't because it's so chaotic um, and I would hate for one of the ways that chaos magic works is that it works on duality so there's the idea that everything that you're hoping for you're also equally hoping that the opposite will happen so I would hate to do like protection work and then for the opposite of my intention to come about because of like chaotic forces. <laughs> I have read about chaos magic and I do like the sounds of it, but I'm just too much of a control freak to do chaos magic, I think. I'm too much of a Virgo. But we're living, we're living chaos, don't we? Like the, the universe is, is chaos, I guess, unless you believe it's organised. One or the other, like it's either really yeah. organised or really fucking chaotic, isn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> I honestly don't know which yeah. one. I love the element of Earth because... That's what we are, and it's it's where we are as fully incorporated beings. In the tarot, when we've spoke before about um, the different elements and how they come up in cards, you may remember that there were three major arcana that were specifically associated with elements. And Earth is the only element that isn't actually assigned in the tarot. Now, it is in the minors, but it's not in the majors. I mean, some people might say that the astrological cards that are ruled by certain elements, you know, say if there's an astrological card for Taurus or Virgo or what have you, they might say, oh, well, those are Earth cards then. But actually, um, in terms of the elements, there's only three. And I, I personally have always wondered why, and I think it's because we represent the Earth. We are the Earth element in any reading. When Earth does come up in tarot, it's in the minor arcana, in the entire suit of the pentacles. And these are all about things that you can nurture, things that you can cultivate, things that you can have and touch and, you know, seeds that you can plant that you work towards a goal with. So they do include like materialistic goals, so things like career, achieving your full potential, things like home and family. To me, when I think of Earth, that's not what I think of. I can see the analogy. I can see that those are things that we can cultivate, things that we can have and touch and see as ours. But when I think of Earth, I think of getting out there and getting my hands 
stuck in the mud, experiencing the earth, grounding, you know, walking barefoot outside, um, planting seeds, um, being, you know, connected with nature. And that's why for this episode, we've decided to go a bit off piste and to speak with an incredible wild food forager and host an interview with Lisa Cutcliffe from Edgeless Wild Food. So here is our interview. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Bell Witch podcast, where we are currently going through the different elements in witchcraft. And we've actually got a guest speaker today. Woo! So we've, yeah, <laughs> so we've got Lisa Cutcliffe from Edgeless Wild Wild Foods, is it called? Yeah, Edgeless Wild Food, that's right. It was wow. based in Leeds. So can you tell us a little bit about how it all began and what's your business all about? Yeah, so um, I'm a forager. I teach foraging. I'm, uh, I think I'd probably call myself a wild food specialist. Um, and that is my passion. That's my absolute thing, uh, my hyper focus. And it has been for 20 odd years as well, which is good. And I I just love being out in nature. I love engaging with it in that way. Um, I am a foodie as well. Absolutely love food, love cooking, love cuisines from all around the world, learning how to make things. I love interesting ingredients. So foraging, as well as the nature connection, which I'll come on to, it also means I can make food and create things from flavours and ingredients that you don't you can't get in the shops and I guess a lot of them people overlook don't they you know when you're out and about yeah and you're just walking past them they're right there so there's that element of you know food for free and sometimes that matters to people as well but really it's just the way that you engage with nature through eating more like our ancestors did in a way just being able to find food it feels so empowering I think this comes into like witchcraft a lot because there's there are a lot of um teas and things like that that people will want to drink you know for magical uses or like incenses that people might want to make or herbs for a spell where you're not actually consuming it yeah I was thinking earlier on about um flying ointments that we had I was I was trying to think of like non-food uses for foraging um oh, I think there's food loads. food is obviously an incredible one but healing um yeah medicines um but then yes. like for us, things like oils and anointing and... Um, yeah, for yeah. sure. And so learning to forage isn't necessarily about food, although that's a really good incentive for a lot of people. And it means you can use things... With, you've got to eat anyway, right? So it's nice to be able to bring these things into your everyday diet. But yeah, absolutely. There's herbal applications, there's ritual and spiritual applications for these ancient beloved ingredients it's such a lovely thing and it's such a lovely mindful practice and for, for a lot of witchcraft stuff as well and and pagan things earthy things there's a lot of timing that's important it's about the phase of the moon and whether you pick it under the light of the first moon or the new moon and you know all these things and which moon of the year that all comes into it yeah. as well for a lot of people there's a lot of folklore isn't there like I know that they say I never remember what day it is, but they say in October there's a certain day that you're not meant to pick blackberries past because the devil will have spat on them. And it's like <laughs> these sort of myths and superstitions. But actually, when you kind of think about it, it was probably for the stewardship of the land so that there was enough left for wildlife for the winter or to go to seed and create more to mm -hmm. create an abundance for the for the following years. 
yeah there's, there's lots of reasons for a lot of these things that came out it was just so that it was a nice accessible way for people to remember these things and like you say to have the rhythms the rhythms with nature as well we're not just taking 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 how do you give back how do you make sure there's enough left and I think this is probably maybe an, a time to bring up because this will have been something that you've been hyper aware of for the past few months, won't it? Because Lisa has incredibly been living off solely wild foods for the past, is it three months? Three months. Yeah, that's mad. 13 Amazing. weeks. Well, there's two days left at time of recording. So it's today and tomorrow. And then we do all these tests at the end to see how we've changed but yeah it's called the wild biome project and it it came out of something that my friend monica wild did in 2020 to 21 mostly during lockdown actually and she decided to just eat wild food for a year and see what would happen so she's doing all the seasons and that's much harder than what we did with just spring but her first thing was not to spend any money on food whatsoever and then also to see what happened as just out of interest, they did some private sort of gut tests and things like that and blood tests just to see what happened to them, her and her partner this is. It was fascinating and, and they weren't prepared at all in, in many ways. They have huge stores just like I do and most foragers do, huge stores of mushrooms and all this sort of thing. But what was interesting was the carbohydrate and the fat and there's, those things are much harder to find in the wild. And so you do need to prep probably more they they realized but they did it and they and monica wrote a book called the wilderness cure she's a medical herbalist as well as a forager and um lyme disease expert and all sorts of stuff and it's just a wonderful book because it shows her journeys the ups and the downs the sort of the the hope the despair that like oh why am i doing this no this is why i'm doing this you know it's really really wonderful lots of herbal knowledge it's a beautiful book and that was fine but then she'd really wanted to write a scientific paper about this but of course you can't do that with two people and also if you don't have controls like you have people who are eating normal food at exactly the same period to compare the data for you can't have a proper scientific study so now she said why don't we do as many people as possible for three months which is a bit more manageable some people did one month and we'll test beginning and end with you know gut tests and things like that so the, the idea was really to see what happens to the gut microbiome but there's so much else that's affected by it your mood your sleep your weight your general well-being and of course you're foraging more and I'm imagining you almost like I don't know like there must have been a time in history when people would have gone out and had to have get food off the land all the time maybe they would have cultivated some but I think like obviously there would have been times where our diet was mainly foraged foods and I think that must be does, does it take you back to that does it make you feel like linked with a more primal version of yourself yeah and... so we, we were looking at sort of the pre-farming period so sort of Mesolithic sort of stone age type of time but that said we've we have got fridges we've got food processors you know we're not not using any of that stuff we're not trying to live like stone age people but it is pre-farming in terms of we're not having anything cultivated during this project so that also gets rid of all the chemicals and all the stuff like that anyway it's been really interesting and it does definitely make me feel more connected to being human in nature um and i look forward to continuing to eat a lot more wild food than i was doing even as a foraging instructor what led me to ask about that was that we were talking about the cycles of seasons and how that's important obviously for us in the craft but Mm. for you back you know back in um, autumn and winter you will have been preparing for presumably for what you might be eating in spring because i guess you wouldn't have wanted to have had like a scarcity of food 
That's right. So in autumn, knowing that we were doing this, um, I collected loads of acorns, loads of hazelnuts, um, laid down some wild meats and things, um, and tried to get hold of fats as well because that was going to be tricky. And we can also oil some nuts and you know make oil and that kind of thing, but it it makes it all very precious because that's a finite resource and. I didn't know, having not done this before, I didn't know how much I was going to need. So I actually collected tons and actually I haven't used a lot of it, which is interesting. But that's because spring is so abundant. All I've been doing is just greens, yeah. doing all the greens, seafood, seaweed. And that's what's around now. And some fungi, we've had St. George's mushrooms and chicken of the woods has come out. So we've had a bit of fungi, but I just don't want those heavy stews right now. It just makes me yeah. realise how disconnected we are from the earth because of western way of living isn't it I mean I like the idea of foraging and I do eat the stuff I grow in my garden but I'm just not educated or I'm a bit scared you know to pick the wrong thing I make myself ill and probably oh. die <laughs> and I think that's, that's a totally understandable I had a I've had a mushroom sprout in my garden it's I forget what it's called now it's like loads of little cups it kind of looks it looks like seaweed to me or like coral <gasps> And obviously the immediate response for me was to panic thinking, well, it's fungus. What if it, what if it's harmful? What if it kills my trees? What if it kills my plants? And I, I looked it up and it was like, fine. But I think there is always this caution. We are taught from a young age with good reason to be wary of things like, especially mushrooms and plants. I think some people are as cautious as they should be with plants because there are toxic ones out there but I guess you know for a lot of for a lot of our listeners they have young children and I think wouldn't it be lovely if if people felt more confident in being able to go out and just pick one thing and let the kids eat it like I I do let my little girl eat blackberries you know straight off of the out of the brambles in autumn and um and dandelions she always eats dandelions by like like they're a lollipop she's nine she knows that they don't taste (laughs) Amazing, just <laughs> like you know, she does it to make a point of it. I think. But what sort of things do you think we could look for um, through the year that that are easily identifiable that children can enjoy picking and you know not worry about? The thing with children is, I think if you just establish the the rules at the beginning around foraging, just so that they then don't go and shove anything in their mouth. Like I think if you reinforce those rules with them every time you go out to do some foraging, then eventually you won't have to say it every time, and you won't have to remind them. But I think to start with, well, it has to be quite rules? intentional. Well, the rules are, are the don't rules? put it in your mouth if you don't know what it is, and don't go and do it without an adult with you. I think that yeah. those sorts of things are really important, and it's okay to take bits home, and then we can go and look them up. I think you need to. In, have all that process with them as well so if they're really young it might just be right okay mummy says it's okay to eat these you know if if they're your child you know it's a bit tricky with young kids but usually you can establish that there's there's rules that you can find your own rules as a family and how there are some things that are like as a blanket a safe like if you went for a walk you know that say clover you know that clover they're all the safe there's not not really anything that they can get confused with um, um no no there isn't really and also children to be fair are really good at the details we it's adults that are usually worse <laughs> at not looking at the details properly kids are brilliant at learning patterns especially if they're under the age of 10 so it's such a joy teaching kids foraging because if you show them a particular plant you show them all the features and you tell them about any lookalikes and maybe show them the lookalike as well if you can find it then 
they will absolutely remember that for the rest of their life. And they're just sponges and they're incredible. And so they're usually correcting the adults when the adults not notice something. That's what I find anyway. Yeah, so that's good to know. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so as long as you are showing them the right thing and being clear, then I find that they're they're brilliant foragers and they're brilliant at spotting stuff and they love it. And I think as long as you can find something interesting for them to put it into as well. Um, so that it's not just the finding, although the treasure hunt is half the fun, to be honest, for a lot of people. Um, but it's then doing something with it is also really important. And so one favorite I have is these mushrooms called jelly ears, which grow on elder trees, which is also full of folklore and all that sort of stuff. Elder trees, you know, the elder one, the, 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 the sort of sinister folklore around, around, elder it's from the christian side of things but actually in the pagans it's an amazing tree you know and all this sort of thing so it's mm. fascinating um but they grow on elder trees they can grow on beach and sycamore as well and they're just these brown wobbly jelly ears and they are quite distinctive there's not much that else that looks like them which is really helpful and you can just pick them as they are they're totally tasteless really on their own but if you dry them out then you can rehydrate them in like neat cordial syrup and make sweets and this is just so much fun for kids. And then that the kid, my friend's kids, we I taught them when they were like three and five, something like that. And they still remember this and they know every tree in the woods near their house, which has has jelly ears and they still spot them to this day. And they're like 13 and 15 now, you know, and it's just incredible. And they still have this like, oh, it's jelly ears and they'll spot them everywhere and they'll always know jelly ears, you know. So it, you've got to find a way in that attracts them somehow. Other things as nettles, which is a bit tricky with kids because they sting, but they're so useful in lots of things. Dandelion leaves are pretty good. Um, I think most kids can identify a dandelion. Wild garlic is good. But then again, you can work with them and work on, but this is what bluebells look like and this is what snowdrop leaves look like and this is what lords and ladies look like and those are bad and we, we must learn to not pick those with by mistake with our wild garlic. So wild garlic is easy, it's abundant and there's certainly loads in leaves. Um, and once you get to a spot, you can probably sort of leave them unsupervised in a sense. But you want to check everything into the basket and check it out of the basket as well. And just make sure there's no other leaves that aren't the same in there. Um, how did I get into it? I I did forage a little bit as kids. It was blackberries. It was getting elderberries. My dad used to make an amazing elderberry wine. I used to love beach combing. You know, I've always loved that kind of activity. And yeah, because you like sea glass, don't you? I've seen you post do anything like that. Before. Spotting shapes and picking things up. I've always loved that kind of thing, collecting shells or pretty rocks or whatever. I've always been like that. But it's the treasure hunt part as well, as well as the food you get at the end. And then when I came to uni, so that was, what, 99, I just um, saw a cooking programme and I saw the meeting. They found porcini mushrooms in the UK and I thought they were only in Italy or the continent I didn't realize they grew here and that's it I went and got books and I wanted to teach myself and that's how I started learning originally and then it's just just skyrocketed you know keep learning keep learning and I've still got a thirst for knowing more and more about wild foods and foraging oh I bet it's amazing doing it I need to work on it I think and get uh, more confident well the advice is just find one plant get to know it find things to do with it then find another plant and, and that's you don't have to know everything at all it's just find something you like the look of find out what it is and then you know if it's an edible species it will tell you online or in, in books and ah, baby steps exactly and then you know that plant and you can forage that plant you can get elderflower make elderflower cordial there's lots of simple things to begin with or make wild garlic pesto or make blackberry ice cream you know just 
use the things you're sure about and add to that list slowly. And if it's not edible, if you are into witchcraft, <laughs> if you're willing to, you know, use gloves for things that are, um, you know, that may, I guess, have toxins that might affect your skin. But you can use things that aren't edible for spellcrafting, for incenses. There are all sorts of purposes that you might add things to your craft. But I do think eating is... In, in paganism, we work a lot with spirits of place and, you know, spirits of land. And I do think that, like, it is, it's that connection, isn't it? And, you know, thinking about what's what's native to the land that, that we're on and then feeling a connection with, with your home, yeah, yeah I think is, is incredible. People say, where's the best place to forage and the best place is at home near you? Because there is that real connection there. There are places I visit that I feel a connection with, quite a deep spiritual connection with a real pull from that place to me and to myself my my connection to it but there's nothing like getting to know your own area and using things that are near you is there any um, any places that are particularly good around leeds do you know are they all pretty much amazing? it depends what you're after yeah because things grow in particular habitats so if you want things that grow on the edge of a field you have to go out of town where the fields the farming fields are you know, like poppies or pineapple weed or something that likes to grow on the edge of arable fields, for example. But then if you want certain mushrooms or you want new beech leaves, then you're probably going to have to go to a more wooded area with trees. It just depends. Each species has its own habitat. So if you look in the right habitat for that species, you're more likely to find it. So as a um, high-flying working woman as well, um, it must be a challenge for you to actually carve time out to do this in mundane life and this is one of the things that a lot of our listeners struggle with is is finding the time how do you carve out time well I haven't got kids is part of the reason um because <laughs> obviously once you have kids it's just all consuming for certainly the first few years but to be honest forever um it's true <laughs> so you know I do fill my time because I haven't got kids filling my time but it is still really hard because I have a full-time day job and I also teach foraging when I can and and I like to travel a lot. So it it is hard. And I think it's just because I'm so passionate about this, it's easier to find time for this than other things like adulting and life in general. So <laughs> it's just a lot easier to to do something you love, I think. And um, it's so good for your mental health, isn't it? Just walking around. I need it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I guess some people who, who maybe do have kids could find find what's growing on the school run find what's growing on the route to the shops or on the route to the parents' houses or on the dog walk or what have you. Absolutely right. That's what's important, I think. It's not about, right, I'm going foraging now. That Sometimes that's a luxury that we have. Other times it isn't. Just just get to know where you are, the things you're passing every day or occasionally for different places that you visit. Yes, to walk the dog, take the kids to school, go and visit someone you see regularly. You know, you might always drive past a ginnel that leads to this particular tree and you could pop in and get some cherries or pop in and get some blossom from that tree. You know, it's doing all the legwork to find spots in the first place that sort of takes a lot of time because eventually you just think, oh, I fancy some of this. And over the last 10 years, you've built up spots of where that is that you've just encountered by these chance meetings um so eventually you build up quite a network of areas that you've spotted things in and you, you can actually put a new layer on google maps or something and keep a private pin of where they all are you can do it like that if you don't remember 
that I just keep it all in my head to be honest I never forget where something good was found you know and I just love that <laughs> map of the world I have now of where I found stuff and it it's such lovely strong happy memories as well I love it but yeah you can fit it in anywhere because as long as you've always got something to pocket to pop some leaves in or whatever you're doing if you see something that's yeah, we always say witches love tats are like a nice woven basket you could forage some willow <laughs> weave your own <laughs> basket and then put your things that you forage in there yeah, totally. <laughs> I do I do often I always have baskets in the van and but I often just wear it even if I'm just walking somewhere else I, I just put it on because you never know what you're going to find but I um, like seeing what springs up in the garden well, do you know like when like garden. a random weed spring springs up and you're just like where has that come from it's always something useful isn't it it's always what you need it always it's astonishes me yeah, like yeah. what people consider a weed and then I leave them to grow and it's like oh it's really pretty <laughs> why pull it up it's so strange and the bees oh, love weeds 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 are a human construct they're not a type of plant in the in the sort of scientific sense weeds are just beautiful successful wild plants that might maybe aren't too fussy about where they grow and they grow very easily and readily from their amazing seed dispersal techniques and so they should be celebrated they are hugely successful yeah. plants and they're robust they're tough they can flourish through a crack in the pavement i love weeds and and they're often so nutritious and abundant and yeah, they're the ones yeah. we should be eating so eat your weeds absolutely eat your weeds yeah. thank you so so much for such an informative and inspiring oh, interview is there anything that you'd like us to know i don't know like what people ask you that's... oh they ask all sorts of things usually like <laughs> do you find magic mushrooms that's oh yeah but loads of people every time do you um, sell magic mushrooms <laughs> i've got yeah, a specific exactly. magic mushroom guy coming to do <laughs> Well, he'll be a lot better for about them, more knowledgeable than me. I mean, I know stuff, but not like a proper expert in psilocybin or anything. I think you should totally give yourself a plug. Tell us all about where we can find you and what you offer. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a good idea. Right. Okay. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> you've got a website, haven't you? Can people can have? find you on yeah, your website? Where can we find you? Where yes. can we find you? Because you've mentioned doing foraging with children. So I bet some of our Leeds based listeners will want to harass you. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah I I teach mostly on weekend days and it's in spring and autumn pretty much I do have a website it's um edulisswildfood.co.uk e-d-u-l-i-s the thing I update the most with what's going on and what I'm finding and recipes and ideas and all the stuff and lately the wild buying project but it'll go back to normal service um shortly is on Instagram that's where I have all my information and where you'll get to know me the best will be through Instagram so that's at edgyless wild feed i will respond to things on there if you want to get in touch your website's uh-huh. pretty beautiful i had a quick nosy oh we came on and it is gorgeous <laughs> design and everything i just like seeing the cats in the van you know like the van oh, and the cats are like cats. roaming around mountains and lakes and they're yeah so funny they they're really good i've got three but i only ever take one or two at a time because i can't manage all three on my own it's just literally like herding yeah. cats what do you and, take um, your cats foraging dear yeah well no mm, sort of I take them traveling so we go up to Scotland they've been on loads of ferries they've been to loads of the islands oh they've wow been they've been everywhere they're not the most traveled uh, little cats in they're the like Lees, I'm sure VIP cats. <laughs> I love it yeah they're, they're very beautiful, beautiful. this one's Juno because she's the nearest by gorgeous cat I know nothing about cats but it's pretty gorgeous yeah and they just love it they love exploring on a little harness and oh do you walk them like on a lead yeah. oh wow 
Well, mm. thank you so much for coming at such short notice. Thank you. And good luck yeah. in your future endeavours foraging. So we'd like to say a massive thank you to Lisa for that incredible talk. And we hope that it's inspired you guys as it's definitely inspired us. I feel, I feel less overwhelmed now. I might actually go out there, maybe walk around the Chevin, see what I can spot that might look tasty. <laughs> I mean, I remember when we went somewhere and we were eating the leaves at the bottom of the trees that taste like apple. Wood sorrel. Is that yeah, what that is? Sorrel. Yeah, yeah they taste kind of, of like apple mixed with lemon, didn't they? Yeah. Like apple skin, wasn't it? Yeah, they were a little bit more sour, weren't they? Loved it, yeah. loved it. So we were yeah. figuring the next thing we could do is our table tennis tips again because it was just so much fun last time <laughs> just to kind of give you guys some tips and methods for connecting with the earth with children and I'm going to start with one of the most basic ones which is go out walking and if you feel like you want to have a purpose to your walk then you could do a little treasure hunt without even foraging me and um Eartha once joined RSPB and we would look for birds that were local to us and try and identify them we used to get baskets and do like rainbow treasure hunts which was always really really nice you know looking like trying to fill a basket with with red things that we could find or brown things that we could find was always lovely oh yeah i've got some cards like that treasure hunt scavenger hunt cards that are like find something thin and find something furry and i'm going to say the subscription box called mud and bloom is a little business that do foraging themed activities for you and your children to come together. We have subscribed for quite a long time now. And I just love how it is quite witchy. I mean, it does have a bit of a pig and slant by nature, but some of the stuff they send out, it's always really magical, you know, make a fairy potion or they did one where you had to make a bird's nest out of ivy wreaths, you know, by curling it around twigs. And and my kids absolutely love that. Um, and they give you chalk to write on the pavement, making stars out of twigs. And it all sounds really obvious, but you just don't think of it out the air, do you? So it's yeah. nice. Yeah. In this box, there's a few printouts of, there's always seeds to plant and watch grow. And there's always stuff to make to eat, like jams, berries and labels and that. And then I love the bird spotted the butterfly checklists and it's a really lovely company mm -hmm. i do suggest you go check it out mud and bloom mm -hmm. i think another good way is to do magical based crafts which i know would probably be similar to some of the things you might find in mud and bloom but as soon as you said ivy i was thinking of you know the willow crowns that me and Arthur have made before which have just been absolutely beautiful and really really special to us both i've done that with leaves in autumn you know where you just staple leaves <laughs> Round a Do bit you of staple? Paper. Yeah, no, it's not. Oh, right. I take them yeah, out. No, we, we get willow, we wrap it round, and then we. Um, Mine's a more <laughs> basic witch <laughs> version. Yeah. My, my youngest daughter, she's 16 months old, and I'm making her grow and cultivate and nurture parsley, of all things. Um, she has a little green bucket, and we planted the seeds, and then I get her to water them every day or two because I want her to know that food doesn't just appear in the supermarket yeah. i wanted to know that she'll grow it and then once it's once it's grown we'll make pizza with it or pasta or something that she'll really like and she'll be part of the cooking process yeah that's pretty cool um, yeah we do yeah. that too we grows i've got a greenhouse tomatoes are dead easy you could even use 
the seeds from the tomatoes from the supermarkets you don't even have to buy seeds to plant you just scoop them out wash them uh, dry them out leave them in the sun for a week I do just to help them dry and then you can plant them and get more tomatoes from your seeds it's such a cool way of doing it you can also do that from carrot tops can't you and Onion yeah tops and you can regrow food scraps can't you which i just think is amazing it and is. also i guess for another activity to do with children compost to start in a compost bin at home Looking at the worms coming through. yeah And of course, camping. Where would you be without camping? This is how this podcast started <laughs> from the yeah the bell tent. And when when we camp, it is definitely all about immersing into it. I don't take any screens. I don't really have any batteries or electric. Um, and my kids get dirty. They don't wear shoes. They dig up worms. And you should let your kids get dirty. Yeah. Mud isn't this awful, disgusting, pathogen-laden stuff. It's generally pretty clean, like there should be, you know, getting, getting as muddy as possible. It's got an enzyme, Yeah. isn't it, that makes you feel good when it gets into your bloodstream. I remember reading this when I was pregnant Has with Claire. it? That's incredible. Yeah, I think there's some research to show that it, it lifts your mood and makes you feel more positive. But yeah, barefoot walking, like you said, camping, just hearing the birds when you wake up. I absolutely love camping. I can't wait to go Yeah. camping. Yeah. I'm trying to think of earth-based activities that you can do indoors as well, because I think a lot of these are outdoor ones. Obviously, seed planting can be done anywhere, but I'm kind of thinking maybe baking would be one because you are taking something. To think of the wider idea of the element of earth, you know, it's not all about nature-based connection. It's about cultivating things that are nourishing for us. So things like baking, I would say, would probably come under the earth element. I'm a, a big house plant enthusiast, enthusiast. yeah. I love house plants. I talk to them and I rake them and going around watering them is a bit of a ritual. Um, Yeah. and I shake them as well. It's good to shake your house plants because it mimics animals in the jungle going past them. And that makes the roots strong. So there's a little house plant That's amazing, yeah. pit for you That's there. really So cool I go to around know. just like talking to them, shaking them. <laughs> Flower pressing is a good one, as well as um, you can take fabric, you know, like silk fabric and a little mallet and get some nice plants and kind of hammer the plant onto the silk or, you know, it has to be a natural-based fabric or it won't take, but you can hammer it on and make, like, leaf prints to make a nice leaf scarf. Yeah, I did this and I hit too hard and it made a hole in the cloth. <laughs> Ah, oh, yeah. right, so I think that concludes our table tennis table tennis tips for this episode of Earth. It's a tongue twister, It isn't is it? a tongue twister um, and it's loads of fun. We do quite like doing it. It's sort of fun I fast think facts, isn't it? with Earth, <laughs> we could go on and yeah. on because it really does include anything that you can see, have, touch and cultivate, whether that's connecting with nature, whether it's setting goals and intentions, whether it's focusing on your home and family. You don't have to get outside to connect with the element of Earth at all. So have a good think about other tips and let us know what you guys come up with. I think that's why we got a guest speaker in because we were just so aware how both passionate and earthy witches we are and there was a real danger of four hour long podcast <laughs> saying how much we just Yeah. adore the earth. I think it's interesting as well how how vast the element of Earth is. Sort of, I don't want to limit the others at all. I guess it's just that we experience the Earth more broadly because it is the element that all all the others kind of culminate in isn't it it's our experience our experience of being fully incorporated beings 
on this planet. You know, there's absolutely countless ways to experience fire, water, air. But I think with with Earth, it's always going to have that bit further. And somebody else who loves Earth, who we would love to shout out today, is Wheat and Chaff, um, who you can find on Instagram as at Wheat and Chaff. And they are a forager of bones <laughs> believe it or not which I love as a as a bone reader myself and I know that Wheat and Chaff also does bone reading and is an excellent source of bone reading kits if you are interested in learning the art yourself. She goes out and finds dead animals and then she takes them home to her own little graveyard, boneyard that she has in her garden where she buries them and treats them properly. She treats them incredibly respectfully. She journals the process. She educates people on what bones are present, what animals, you know, what even like what deformities they may have had. She names them all and, you know, treats them with the utmost respect and reverence and comes out at the other end with these amazing bones <laughs> fully treated and these beautiful artworks. And go look on her Instagram right now because she's incredible and I'm not doing her any justice at all verbally you know but seeing somebody's bone mandalas or you know a reassembled skeleton or a beautiful you know botanical and wildlife journal that's being created that's where you can touch every single page and like really really experience it I think is really really magical in its own right and something that I think is quite exciting. That was gorgeous yeah I've not come across that before I'll have a look. Should we finish off with my poem? This one is called Transformed Life. It's one of my favourites. I've sent it to quite a few competitions and it is in the pipeline to get in put into a magazine at some point. It's taken a while to materialise. So this is kind of like a sneak peek. Sleeping in a blanket of deep, rich soil. All this time, I was suspended in a muted existence, something of a life. Birdsong on the blue screen above me was black and white. I was cocooned in a shell of depression that would occasionally crack to let in the light. I would push my fingers through and feel the dirt, perhaps taste the grainy sand full of minerals and life. Sun in my eyes dazzled me then. The shell closed up again. The cracks healed themselves and I wondered, how long have I slept? Something had changed in me. I need not sleep anymore. I am feeling the healing. I am ready to climb out of the deep. I accept the growth from beneath and above me, from within my own soul. A power surge erupting, emerging with force, learning the way to be me and thrive in my transformed life. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for the last four episodes of the... the element it's been an absolute ball to cover all four and come see me at leeds festival of gothica <laughs> yeah definitely um no, and I'm come joking. see me at conscious crystal i'm going to aim to do every second wednesday you know subject to change but i will keep you informed on my instagram the friendly green witch one word thank you for listening if you could please leave us some stars on spotify um, it takes a second just to hit them five stars. Or if you've got just two minutes to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be amazing and would be ever so appreciated as I put quite a lot of time and effort into producing this podcast and the reviews just make so much difference to small pods like us. And every time I see one, I do a little dance. <laughs> so, yeah, I really appreciate it. 
I've now added a button to my link tree if you'd like to buy me a coffee to help me with the costing of doing all the producing that it would be much appreciated right until next time witches see you later stay magical